You're listening to the Astro Backyard Podcast. Capture the night sky. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Astro Backyard Podcast. My name is Steve of Frontario Telescope and... And I'm Trevor from astrobackyard.com. So today we want to talk about uh, just some basic objects, well, and some more advanced intermediate objects uh, that are out there right now in the night sky. Uh, we are at the end of September. Uh, if you live in Ontario, Canada, like we do, uh, we've been blessed with some really, really warm summer weather. It's like summer just decided to show up now. Um, it's like 35 degrees almost every day and uh, clear right into the night. Um, it's it's fantastic because you can stay up late uh, like like Trevor does and still go to work the next day. I don't know how you do it. Um, and get your imaging in. Um, some really, really great, great conditions. Sky is nice and clear. Uh, if you have a, a dew heater, which I really hope you would have a dew heater um, with this great weather we've been having, you will be using it. It'll be working double time. Um, but yeah, so we just wanted to talk about some objects that are of out now that uh, are really easy to get, um, uh, excellent uh, one-shot camera type images. Uh, you know, we got like M31, the Andromeda Galaxy. Uh, that's really positioned nicely, and you can see it all night. Um, and then there's M33, but M33 is a dimmer object, isn't it? Yeah, M33 is a, a lot tougher than M31, actually. Um, but it is it is in a great spot right now, and uh, if you just continue to soak up your exposure times on it, uh, like around the five six hour range, which is very possible this time of year, um, it's it's all about the way you process it in Photoshop. You just want to you want to find that faint detail and pull it forward using curves. Uh, I think you'd be uh, quite surprised at what you can pull out from the uh, triangulum. Yeah, and, and with M thirty one, when I was out uh, a couple weekends ago, I got. Uh, close to three hours of exposures on it. Nice. Um, yeah, it, you know, it wasn't any, it, the, it wasn't a very big scope. I was just using an 80 millimeter uh, triplet because it is such a large object, and it filled in the field of view um, uh, nicely. And uh, very, very impressed with the results that I got. The, my only mistake is I didn't use a flattener. Ah. So I have a lot of uh, curvature along the edges, but I was just out playing around with uh, with a new scope and seeing what what it can do um, yeah you really need a wide field of view for for andromeda it is massive yeah it's what five or six moons across yeah like, something like that which is just amazing when you think about it um one object one of my favorites that's still out there is m13 the hercules cluster um you know with the night getting darker earlier uh it is possible to see it it is still high and starting to move west but uh, you can still get some good time on it, and uh, with the weather we've been having, if you wanted to get more and more time, we just have to go out night after night. Uh, but that, that's a real pretty object once you get some good data with it. Uh, good with DSLRs, good with uh, one-shot cameras. If you want to be ambitious and use a mono and go through your filters, you can do that too. Um, probably running out of time, though, this time of year. Um <laughs> For star clusters like that, it, it, the great thing about that is that you can use shorter exposure times. You're not going to get any benefit from shooting a five-minute sub on, on a globular cluster. In fact, you might blow out some of those uh, the finer little stars in the center. So it's a great object that uh, you can use shorter exposures. 
And you can also shoot it during like almost a full moon without uh, heavy filters. It's just those, those stars uh, come out great even in, in short exposures, like I said. So anyone with it, like even just a, just a DSLR, shouldn't have yep. an issue with it. And then Stock DSLR would be great. Doesn't have to be modified. Pick up all the colors. Um, so it's a good object to start with, uh, for sure. If you're just getting into uh, into imaging. Absolutely. And, and then there's a double cluster in uh, Cassiopeia or Cassiopeia. Yep. I, say, I say Cassiopeia. It's probably wrong. There's people out there cringing. I think I say it different every time I say it, so I I don't even know which way I normally call it because I just keep flopping. Yeah, but I, I've seen some really nice images of the double cluster, and it, it almost looks like jewelry in the middle of, of space. Totally, right? totally. When it's yep. done, done really well. Um, for the real keeners out there, real ambitious ones, this time of year, um, M42 is uh, starting to rise up, uh, the Great Orion Nebula. Yeah. Um, uh, it, and it's really nice to see it rising up from uh, above the horizon and coming up high and then fading out when the sun comes up. But that's out there now. You can get some really good images of that. And again, that's that's an easy object. It's nice and bright. Um, again, it's, ex excellent with the DSLR. It's definitely the best beginner astrophotography subject. It's so satisfying to see that purple nebula come through, even with your stock, stock DSLR, if that's what you're having to start with. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it is a bit early to start on that, but uh, it, like you said, if you're a keener and you're up late enough and uh, your neighbor's house doesn't completely block it like it does for mine, you could start now. Yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I told him I'm putting a pod in my backyard. Yeah. And I must be crazy because my next neighbor has a big tree in his backyard. <laughs> and uh, it takes up a good chunk of my uh, southeastern sky. Oh, that's yeah. That's a, that's exactly where my neighbor's house is too. So the low stuff in the southeast, which is that's a that's a kind of a brutal spot to lose out on. But yeah, well, I just I got a zenith, so yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it works out. But um, yeah, I'm excited to get that pod another month. Um, and the last one, last really good one, everyone should take a shot at. And you can do this now, starting at midnight. M um, forty five. Uh, yes. And that that is that is a really nice object, um, very easy to see just by naked eye, and uh, you, you spend some time with that, and and that's actually probably a good object to really kind of perfect your your imaging techniques and your um, your processing, getting to know your equipment uh, really well because you can start to see uh, that nebulosity coming in. Um, totally. It's it's such a great practice object, as you said, because there's a lot going on there. You've got the bright stars to deal with, and then that nebulosity. There's some there's some bright patches of it, but then there's also some faint patches. So it's kind of a processing challenge to get the faint stuff out uh, without blowing out those massive seven sisters. And uh, it's also excellent for um, framing and focusing because you can, like you said, you can find it with the naked eye. So if you don't have a go-to scope. If you're just manually finding something, or if you're on a tripod, uh, you can you can easily find that cluster in the sky and frame it up just just right, and then soak some serious time onto it. That's that, that's a good point because it is easy to see. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then for your planetary lunar guys out there, uh, Saturn's still out and about, um, but it, it settles down in the west um, fairly early, uh, but it's still a very nice object um, and. Uh, there's also the moon, um, 
which is nice at times and other times it's a complete pain. Um, <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah, it, it, it's like you know, weather's perfect. You've got nice, beautiful sky, and then there's the full moon. Um, That's the way it goes. Yeah. Um, but th- those are those are the easier objects to help. You know, anyone who wants to start uh, getting into the into the hobby, those are the ones to start off with. Um, and uh, if you join some imaging groups on Facebook, uh, you'll start seeing hundreds of pictures of those every morning in your feed because um, you know that's what people start off with, and they get some really good results. But then there's some other ones uh, that are more intermediate um, that require more equipment in order to get a good good image out of them. Mm-hmm. And Trevor, you and I were talking about those uh, earlier. Um, I think we had what the wizard. Yeah, there's a lot of great objects, uh, particularly a mission nebula in uh, around the Perseus and Cassiopeia area. And uh, I recently shot the Wizard Nebula, uh, which is uh, almost completely invisible visually, but uh, with an astro-modified camera, it starts to uh, to show up in about two or three minutes. And it's definitely an object that you need to soak some serious time into, uh, at least in the two to three hour range. And then to really get some uh, satisfying results, you want to shoot some filtered H-alpha uh, images as well and, and uh, add those into your to your color images if, if possible. Yeah. Along with the wizard, uh, Pac-Man. Um, Pac, yep. Heart and Soul, those are in the same, same constellation as well, right? That's right, yeah. So the Pac-Man is, in, uh, is a very similar process imaging-wise to uh, the wizard in the way that... Uh, it's very dim, but you'll need the the age. Um, and then the heart and soul is a different ball of wax completely uh, because it's it's so massive. Uh, so whatever focal length you would use for to frame up the Pac-Man and the Wizard, well, is not going to work for the heart and soul. You'll need something ultra wide. So I actually recently just shot the heart the heart nebula with uh, the William Optics uh, 61 Zenith Star Apo. Uh, which has an ultra-wide 360-millimeter focal length. Uh, and then that with my crop body uh, DSLR brings it into about 570, and that just fits the heart nebula within the frame. And even then, you've got to be really careful to uh, make sure you get the whole thing in. And uh, one last thing about that one, you it, unless you're shooting that H-alpha uh, data as well, you might be a little underwhelmed with uh, with what's showing up in just a color camera, because it's very intense uh, in the hydrogen wavelength that that nebula. So, would a modified camera be better? Yes. Oh, a modified camera is is a must for the Heart Nebula, and then even even still, just shooting RGB, uh, you'll just see the brightest patches of the Heart Nebula without some serious stretching. So, so, so um, sounds so like more H- of a... H-alpha is, 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 I would say, a must for the heart. Okay. Or anyone has a mo- uh, mono camera with an H-alpha filter in front of it. Oh, um, then you're laughing. Yeah. And then, actually, I saw I saw some, some images um, uh, that a customer of mine took with uh, a mono camera and an H-alpha filter. And um, it's amazing the detail that he was able to get out of it. Um, it's quite quite impressive. Oh, there's nothing better than a really crispy H alpha grayscale image through a mono camera. Like just the the lack of noise and the the contrast 
such a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, you know the the uh, it's it's amazing with what you can get with just uh, like you said a stock camera, a modified camera. Um, you know, there's some purists out there that think, oh, you can't do hydrogen alpha with with uh, a color camera or a modified camera, um, which I can understand their argument because you know you're not saturating the entire pixel; you're only using a portion of the pixel. But the way I've always looked at it is if you have a 20 megapixel camera and you're only using a a quarter of those pixels, that's still five million pixels. Yeah. <laughs> that you're... <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, I'm like, when when was a million a small number? And now right. we're talking about five. Um, so you know, you know, uh, if, anyone who wants to get into this, don't be discouraged with the equipment that that you may have. If um, if it's not uh, the high end mono stuff, you can still get some fantastic images. And you know, I've always looked, Trevor. I've always looked at your images that you that you've had um, on your website with your modified DSLR, your HAR mm-hmm. RGB images, and just if if I hadn't have known that it was a modified DSLR. Yeah, you can work with it. work with what you've got. I mean, of course, mono would be better, but uh, I've got a color camera right now, so I'm going to try it, and it definitely definitely helps. Yeah, that you're talking about the uh, Hypercam 183. Yes, the 183C is is my go-to camera right now. So right. yeah, one shot color. And you're still using uh, the filters on them, right? Yes. So. You always the the H alpha filter that has the biggest bang because I'm shooting a lot of these emission nebulae, but uh, the O3 and then the S2 as well uh, when it makes sense. But again, that's that you know triples my imaging time. So usually I just have time to to grab the RGB and then the the HA. With the RGB, are you using any filters then too? Yes, uh, I always I always forget about that, but it's just because it's so essential for my backyard. I could just I could never shoot without a filter. Uh, and the two that I really like right now uh, with the 183C are the uh, Bader uh, Moon and Sky Glow. I was very happy with that one, especially with the way it uh, preserved the star colors. And then also equally impressed with the uh, Explore Scientific uh, the UHC filter. For the same reason, it uh, did a good job at blocking out some of the uh, city glow, but uh, didn't spoil these the star colors in my image. And that's that's an inexpensive filter too. I think pick it up for I think it was 120 bucks, 130 bucks around there. That yeah 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 no it, it's uh, um, quite amazing what you can get just by putting a simple filter in and kind of reveals what's actually there. So. Absolutely. So I hope everyone got some good information on this uh, this episode. Um, Trevor and I we're still pushing forward, and we want to bring more information to you through the podcast world. Uh, our next episode, we want to talk about software and and uh, something that I've been getting into and now. I'm swearing by it is plate solving. I have not looked at my finder scope since. I have not done an alignment routine since. Um, I just hit the plate solve button. And the software tells my mount where it is and then tells it where to go. And it, the object is in the frame every time. It It's beautiful. And, uh, oh, oh, Trevor, you know, yep. the, you know the Astro uh, photography tool software? Yes. So the new, the, the new version coming out has um, automatic meridian flip control. I saw that. Right. So it, take, it takes a picture 
does a flip, takes another picture, compares it, sees where it's not aligned, readjusts the mount, so it recenters the object in, in it, and th this is just, um, so it, to some yeah. people it's like, that's cheating, but to me it's just super cool. Well, what that would mean to me is the difference between me setting my alarm at 3.30 a.m. and getting outside and not getting up at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because then you're going to be up, you're going to make sure it's okay, you're going to spend an hour. Oh, it turns into an hour every time. Yeah, and then it's like, do I go back to bed or do I just stay up? Yeah, it's like, oh, the sun's coming up. Well, I guess I'm up now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I can't wait for that. I think that should be uh, talking to uh, Ivo. Um who writes the software that should be soon yeah you've soon. got to, you've got to sort me out for plate solving because i haven't started myself and uh, i want to be uh, up and running by october that's yeah. my deadline I, I i've got the cable ordered in for you it's it's, it's coming in the right. so you'll be able to uh, connect to your mount so anyways sounds awesome everybody clear skies and uh look forward to having you listen to us on our next episode thanks everybody clear skies